Our Father, we thank you for tonight. Thank you for the privilege of coming together in your name. Thank you for the opportunity to share your word. I ask, Lord, the entrance of your word tonight. We bring light. We bring understanding. We bless everyone here. To your own glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight, I just want to share briefly with us on the topic, Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to me? And uh, we'll just run through a few scriptures uh, to understand a few things. Uh, our worldview from time to time determine how we relate to issues, what our views are, how we relate to people, what we think about people. If some years ago, I had this opportunity, along with one of my friends, we attended a Christian camp meeting. And in that camp meeting, uh, we were asked to take our meals. And in our own particular culture, usually at home, the youngest person washes the dishes. And the elder ones just sit by. And so we went to that camp meeting with that mind view, that worldview, only to see that professors, great men of God, people who are captains of industry, who were there, were carrying their dishes and washing them. Myself and my friend, we looked at ourselves. We said, what the worldview we were holding was wrong. Nobody told us to humble ourselves, get our place, and wash them. In the time of Jesus, the circumstances surrounding his birth were such that no one expected, no one thought that Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus was the King of Kings. Because he was born in a place where ordinarily kings can never be born. And so the world view of the religious leaders was such that this cannot be the Messiah. And until he died, they were still standing against his teachings, standing against his views. And as Christians, we hold biblical worldview, but sometimes we know we still have the secular world that comes in. And along the line, sometimes we don't have the worldview that allows us to see Jesus in his person, who he is, what he's able to do, what he has come to do, and the fact that he's with us always. Paul writing to the Romans, in Romans, in Hebrew, uh, sorry, to the um, Jews, writing in the book of Hebrews chapter 2, he draws our attention to a few things. If you look at the book of Hebrews, the main task Paul was doing here was actually trying to make his hearers understand that Jesus is God. Jesus is more excellent than the angels, higher than the angels, higher than all of God's creation. And Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus has paid the price for our sins. But not everybody, no matter how learned, no matter how highly placed, understand the simple truth. You recall that Jesus 
ask the disciples, who am I? Who do men say that I am? And they said, oh, some think you are Elijah. Some think you are John the Baptist. Some think you are... Just, no, they went on saying a few things. But Jesus said, who do you think I am? And there was only one person who was able to say, Jesus is the Son of God. And Jesus said, this came by revelation. In other words, it's not a result of much studies, not as a result of hard work, not as a result of pious living, that you are able to discover who Jesus is. And so these nights we are taking a journey to look at who Jesus is to us. And it's a personal journey, though we are doing it together. In Hebrews chapter 2, 6 to 12, we're going to read that. Hebrews 2, 6 to 12, uh, 6 to 10. But one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor. And this set him over the works of the hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. For it became him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Here we see that Jesus took human form like you and I. He tasted death for you and I. He died for you and I. He suffered for you and I. That is the Son of God. He was made a little lower than the angels to be in our form because God wants us to be delivered from our sins. God wants us to be free. John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the whole world. What a love. Who else has loved us so much to die for us like he did? Am I thankful that he died for me? Do I understand what he did for me at the cross? Have I told others about my personal story of how he died for me? The second thing I want to bring to attention, Jesus is my sanctifier. Is my sanctifier. In Hebrews 2.11, we see that Jesus has sanctified and made us holy. Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 13-16, Wherefore, guide up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former laws in your ignorance, but 
as he which had called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because as it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Jesus died to sanctify you and I, to make you and I holy, so that we can assess the throne of grace at any time, so that we can lift up holy hands in worship, so that we can pray with an assurance that when we call upon our Father in the name of Jesus Christ, He can answer us. So that we can come and worship together, and as we worship, the Lord begins to inhabit our praise. And the presence of the Holy Spirit is felt. Little wonder, Peter says, we are a chosen generation. We are a royal priesthood and holy nation, a peculiar people that we should do what? Why has he made us so distinctive, different from the rest of the world, different from those who are around us, so that we can be carriers of his presence, carriers of his holiness, displaying it wherever we go. And as men see us, they rejoice. And that is why the devil is crazy about us. He has lost that holiness that he had when he stood before God in heaven as an archangel. The Bible says when he was taken out of the place, his place was far no more. There's no place for repentance for him. But here we are, sanctified by the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm happy that he died for me. I'm happy that he has sanctified me. He has made me holy. If holiness were to be bought in a superstore, how many of us can buy it? Will you find it on the shelf? Maybe people rush down there and they get it and that's all. We know precious things of life are difficult to get. But holiness is the essence, the very essence of God, His nature, His personality. And that was makes the difference between us and those who do not serve the Lord. Some people don't have holiness. And because they don't have holiness, their thoughts are weird. Their behavior are also weird. Their behavior sometimes can be inconveniencing. They can do any evil. But because we are holy in Him, naturally, we are born again, we discover that righteous acts are flowing from us. Not because we have rehearsed it. Not because we have gone to a school where we are taught. But because He that is holy is inside of me. is inside of you. And is just living out the life naturally. He has given me a clean conscience. A good conscience. He has given you a good conscience. That's what He did for me. For no dollar. For no currency. For no commit, financial commitment. He did it while I was still a sinner. While I was yet without strength. That's what Paul says in Romans 5. How do I thank Jesus for making me holy? Without holiness, no man can do what? See God. Nobody can enter the kingdom of God. But that's what he has offered me, offered you at the cross. The third thing I want to bring to our attention 
is that Jesus is my brother. How many of us have brothers here? We have brothers. We have sisters. Are they dear to us? Do we want to interact with them? When they call us on the phone, are we excited? Are we excited? Yes, our children are excited about their cousins. Their first cousins, their second cousins, their third cousins. And some of us, every year, we come together to celebrate our brotherhood. Is it not? But Jesus, according to Hebrews 11, to Hebrews 2, 11 to 13, that Jesus is not ashamed. He's not hiding to call me his brother. He's not pretending to call me his brother. He's calling me his brother in the presence of the Father. In the presence of angels. And he's saying, this is my brother. These are my brethren. And in your presence here, what am I going to do? I am going to praise your name, my Father. I'm just going to sing praise unto you. And so each time we come together, the brotherhood that the Lord has given to us in Christ brings the presence of the Father, brings the presence of Jesus, brings the presence of the Spirit into our worship. The psalmist says, the Lord inhabits the praise of the saints. So we need to get engaged in our worship with that excitement that each time we are lifting up holy hands, each time we are singing the word of God, there's a presence, there's, there's an experience that we cannot get somewhere else. It's only in Christ. It's only when we gather together. It's only because He's in me. It's in you. And when we come together, there's a meeting of mind. But God is looking for men who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. Hallelujah. I'm excited that Jesus died for me. I'm excited that He calls me His brother. God called Abraham His friend. Jesus calls me his brother, and he calls me his friend. He told his disciples, I no longer call you what? Servants. I call you what? Friends. He said, Why did he call us friends? He would take you into the secret business. He would take you into the shamba room. He would take you into the bride's room shamba. He would tell you secret things. And that's what the Holy Spirit is doing here. The Holy Spirit is bringing things of Jesus. What the Father has told him, he has told the Holy Spirit. He whispers it gently to us. And he tells us the way we should go. He helps us in times of trouble. He encourages us. And when I know that my elder brother is behind me, who do I fear? I can go through the valley of the shadow of death. Because his rod and his staff will do what? We comfort me. My cup is filled to overflowing. My head is anointed with oil. What else? My table for celebration is prepared right in the presence of my enemies. And then it says, goodness and mercy. We follow you. We follow me. We follow all of us. That's why our gathering is unique. You don't find goodness and mercy from the Lord somewhere else. 
God can show mercy to the world generally. But he shows it to us as his family. As his children. As the brothers of Jesus Christ. Men and women who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Can you recall when you gave your life to Christ? That peace. That joy. That assurance. That newness you felt within you. That change. As the scripture puts it, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. All things are passed away, all things are become new. You have to believe it that you have become new. Though you still carry your stature. I've been like this for so many years. Over 60 years I've been like this. I haven't changed. He hasn't changed either. Except for some small, a few swellings here and there. (laughs) But then, when we gave our lives to Christ, we knew something happened. He knows my wife. When she gave her life to Christ, it was persecution in the family. It's time she goes for Bible study in the evening. And she's coming back home. The father is waiting. And the heart is palpating. (laughs) But then the Lord will always make a way for her to get in. And finally, because she was the first born again believer in the house. And then she set the pace for marriage. We married in the, in the church. That set the standard. And everyone wants to marry in the church. Hallelujah. The Lord is good. Is Jesus not good? He is good. Yes. We also see in Hebrews 2, 14 to 16, that he is my champion. He is your champion. What do I mean that he is my champion? The scriptures tells us in that Hebrews 2, 14 to 16. That Jesus, because we are children of Abraham and we are human, Jesus came, took our shape. Let me read that. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. And delivered them who, through fear of death, were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on the seed of Abraham. I am the seed of Abraham. You agree with me? Are you also the seed of Abraham? So he took our form and he came to die. There's somebody, there's somebody called the devil who is like Goliath in the day of King um, Saul who stood out and said, hey, let's reduce this business to a small issue. We don't have to kill so many people. I stand here as a representative of the Philistines. I'm, my name is Goliath the warrior. And do you have anybody who can take me on? Whoever wins takes the prize, takes the victory, and the nation takes the victory as well. King Saul, who has been in battle for a long while, who was the king, sat down quietly afraid. All the army generals sat down quietly afraid. 
And then there was this little boy who came from nowhere. Hey. He said, what's happening? They said, this uh, guy is boasting and everybody's quiet. said, God, we give this uncircumcised Philistine into my hands today. He said, the God who took, gave me the strength to take this sheep out of the mouth of the lion, out of the mouth of the bear, we also delivered this uncircumcised Philistine into my hands. That day, David brought victory to Israel, which is like something pointing to what will happen at the cross. The devil has held us captive, boasting all around, striding the whole place. Who can dare me? Nobody raised up his head. We're like Israel, like Zechariah says. We bowed on our heads. We had no weapons of war. We could do nothing. We were just sighing, just hoping something will happen. Thank God something happened. Jesus was sent down. And he engaged the devil at the cross representing us in the flesh. He was crucified. Paul says, if the princes of this world knew that by crucifying him, that would be their end, what would they have done? They would have left him alone. They are short-sighted. God sees the end from the beginning. He declares it. And they thought by crucifying him, that was the end. They didn't know you and I are going to come out as champions. More than conquerors. And when we start, we say, in the name of Jesus, I cast that spirit out. In the name of Jesus, let there be peace. In the name of Jesus, I receive my healing. In the name of Jesus, let all crooked paths be made straight. That comes from the fact that our eldest brother has gone ahead to represent us at the cross. Hallelujah. Because he resurrected. That same spirit that quickened him from the dead is going to quicken us. We may be tired of the political situations around us. We may be tired about the, polit- the economic situations around us. We may be tired about the hustle and bustle of life. I want to encourage you tonight. My Jesus, my brother, my friend, my sanctifier, my redeemer, my savior, he's gone ahead to prepare a place for me. Where he is, there I shall be also. Any man who has his hope purifies himself as his Paul. Hallelujah. Give the Lord a clap offering. He has given me victory. He has given you victory. Hallelujah. So sometimes we lose sight of the fact that Jesus is our victor and he has brought real victory into our life experiences. We are afraid. We are worried. The instrument the devil was using was fear. Fear. I don't know what to fear today. I don't know what to fear about life. I don't know what to fear about your workplace, about your health, about general circumstances around you. I want to assure you, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And the government of your life shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Priests. And of the increase of his government, there shall be no end. There's no tenure. There's no election. There's no hacking. Is there? 
You know, hacking is worldwide. It takes place in our country as well. The next thing we see from Hebrews 2. Uh, sorry. Uh, we're through with Hebrews 2. We look at the fifth point. Is my example in living a life of humility. Jesus is my example in living a life of what? Humility. Philippians 2, 1 to 8 tells us about the circumstances of his appearance on earth here. That he is God, but he became man. He took on our form. And finding himself in the form of a human being, he didn't complain. He didn't whine about it. He didn't oppose God's purpose. He willingly came. He said, I lay down my life willingly and I take it again. He didn't oppose the father's idea of him becoming the Islam that will take away our sins. Abraham and Isaac had prefigured that by the experience we see in Genesis. But Jesus willingly submitted himself. And so he didn't count it the robbery that he is God. But why should I become flesh? Why should I suffer? Why should I die? Why should I be hated and be persecuted? He went all the way to the cross. And look at what um, verse 9 to 11 tells us. Can you put us verse 9 to 11? Philippians 2. Philippians 2. Wherefore, that is because of his humility, because of his obedience, because of his submission, God also had highly exalted and given him a name which, are, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, looking at that passage, what is excluded on earth? Anything? What is excluded in heaven? Nothing. Of course, except the Father who gave him that authority. In the sea, what is excluded? Nothing. So, he's in charge. In Revelation, it's called Alpha and Omega. The beginning and the end. When you come to him and he saves you, he gives you a new beginning. And he keeps you going. He says he's able to save us to the uttermost as a high priest. He does intercession every day. Not some days of the year. Jesus doesn't have holiday. He's interceding every second, every minute on our behalf because he is the high priest of God pertaining the issues between us and himself and God. And so he's the one who is interceding, ensuring that God always sees that blood, that perfect blood that was shed on our behalf. Jesus was submissive. Now, 
How submissive are we to one another? In the home? In fellowship? In church? How submissive are we to leaders? How submissive are we in the workplace? How are we able to exemplify the humility of Jesus? Men who are proud, they go the way of of Satan because God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. You want the prosperity of Jesus like we see in Isaiah 53, verse 10 to 12? He said, when I see the travel of his soul, I am satisfied. Therefore, he will prosper in doing the things I ask him to do. So anybody who identifies with Jesus gains from that prosperity of Jesus. He has never lost any battle. How much do you think it costs to build the mansions he's making in heaven for you and I? Any idea? <laughs> he's constructing and just one day this world will just be folded up like a piece of paper thrown away. There's a new world. There's a new earth. There's a new heaven. We're in dwelling righteousness. We change our bodies. Hey, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to that great day. Hallelujah. Jesus provides us a place of succor and help when things go wrong. Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. He provides a place of succor for us when things go wrong. Each time we are anxious there's a problem, we can run there. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like us we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We are always in the time of need as human beings. Our frailty, the constitution of our body, makes us to worry, to be anxious, to make errors, to sin, to do things that the Holy Spirit convicts of us that are not right. Sometimes we hold grudges that we cannot let go. We hold forgiveness from people because of one reason or the other. Some other times we stand looking at the other person like the Pharisee looked at that Republican in the temple. I'm better than that guy. I fast so many times a week. I do this, I do that. And before God, you already put yourself under content. But when that happens and the Holy Spirit convicts you, we have a place to run to. A sure place where the high priest is waiting. Where the father is waiting. And if you humble yourself like David and say, I have sinned. It's true. Give me a new heart. Give me a contrite spirit. Lead me in the way of righteousness. I don't want to go that way anymore. Please restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Oh, something miraculous is going to happen. There's going to be restoration. There's going to be renewal. There's going to be upliftment. Favor is going to come. 
joy will flow again. The strength of the Lord will come again. And you can say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Hallelujah. And finally, Jesus is my ultimate source of inspiration and strength. Jesus is my ultimate source of inspiration and strength. Let's look at Philippians 2.13 and Philippians 4.13. Philippians 2.13. Philippians. For it is God which walketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. 4.13 4, chapter 4 verse 13 I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me that's what that passage says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? Yeah, my I, the, the, what I get out of this passage, the first one, is to me is mind blowing. That Jesus, lofty up there in his height of glory, mountain of honor, right there, separated from me, but living in me, is not just interested in taking me to heaven, but while I'm on this earth, he wants to give me good ideas. He wants to put new vision inside of me. He wants to tell me what I should do so that he can be pleased, so that the Father can be pleased. He walks in me both to will, to generate ideas, to generate the desire to follow him, to obey him, and to do of his good pleasure. So I'm not living for myself. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14. Those who have been redeemed, who have been saved, should no longer live unto themselves. They now live for Christ. Hallelujah. I see a repositioning. I see a redirection. I'm going this way, living for myself. He says, no, stop it, George. Come this way. He's my chief commander-in-chief, so I follow him. Hallelujah. And so he gives me new ideas. Then you say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Hey, his project can never be abandoned. His projects can never fail. His ideas will never fail. Because he's omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. He knows everything. He said, I'm the God who declares the end from the beginning. Hallelujah. And so we need to put our trust in him. We need to come back again and lay our plans before him. Like Proverbs says, in everything you do, acknowledge him. Put your plans there. Tell him what you want to do. He's going to give you an idea that will work. Do you have a project presently that's not working? Has somebody talked you out of what God has told you to do? Is there a ministry you're supposed to do? Something that gives God glory. The idea has been incubating in you. But all of a sudden, you share with somebody and the person looks at you and says, Hey, that gift can't be in you. Hey, you can't do it. And so you have recoiled. Or you started it, 
And then you met opposition. You will always meet opposition. Jesus met opposition. They never accepted him. But he was focused. Paul also was focused. He was going to Rome. And he knew he would not come back. And people said, hey, please don't go. He said, I'm going. I'm going. Hallelujah. In summary, Jesus is my Savior. Jesus is my sanctifier. Jesus is my champion. Jesus is my brother. Jesus is my example in humility. Jesus is my helper. Jesus is my visioner and strength. Where sin abounds, the grace of God abounds much more. I want to encourage you as you walk this Christian life, no matter the situation in which you are in right now, look up to Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. He will give you grace. When he was in a situation, he saw joy ahead. And he kept on going. He saw God's pleasure ahead. He kept on going. He saw the devil and men trying to discourage him. He didn't give up. He ran the race to the end. Paul ran the race to the end. I will run the race to the end. You will run the race to the end. Because he will carry you in his own very hands. Can we bow down our heads in prayer? I just want you in a moment to just talk back to God on what you've heard. Talk back to him. Possibly there's something you need to present to him. He has rekindled your understanding of him again. He has refreshed your spirit and your mind. You have to offer thanksgiving to him. Maybe there's an anxiety that you are facing. Maybe there's a challenge. Maybe there's a health situation. Maybe there's a fear. Fear of death. Fear of a loss. Fear of not being competent enough in a situation, whatever it is. Can you ask Jesus, who is these seven things I've just mentioned to you to help you out? He can give you fresh ideas. He can carry you through. Maybe where you are, you want prayer to be made for you. There's something you are offering to the Lord, something you are presenting to Him. And you just want us to pray with you together. You may just stand up where you are or you lift up your hands. We're just going to pray with you. We're going to ask God to come forth in His power, to come forth in His glory, and to show mercy. For more grace upon your life. More grace. More grace. Father Lord, we lift our lives to you. We lift our circumstances to you. We may not know it all. We may not be able to determine the end from the beginning. 
We may not even be sure sometimes about the things that are happening. But we are convinced and we are assured of the fact that if you are what we have heard tonight, that you are our Savior, you are our Lord, you are our Master, you are our brother, you are our high priest, you are in charge of our lives, we know we can make it to the end. Father, drive away every fear that is in us in the name of Jesus. Give us peace of mind. Whatever crooked paths that are before us, now make them straight. Whatever the enemy is doing to harass us, we say, peace be still. We declare the peace of the Lord. If our joy has gone off because we've lost peace with you, we've lost relationship, we declare restoration. Let that joy flow again. Let that joy flow again. Like a river. Let it flow. Let it flow. Let it flow. Give us grace to forgive. To let go. To release men that have offended us. People who have hurt us seriously. Oh God. We thank you because... You can give us that strength. And so we receive the strength to forgive. We receive the strength to release. And to let go. Thank you Father. Take all the honor, the praise and the glory. Help us. To continually to love you. To be in your presence. And to enjoy the joy. Of the Holy Spirit. The guidance of the Holy Spirit. And the presence of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus name I pray. Amen.